Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about five things you must know about open and eye capabilities. And we're just one day after ChatGPT4 was released. So we are going to have this really, really interesting talk. Welcome to Invincible Innovation Live Show. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Adima Zolkalia, Product Innovation and Value Creation Expert. And I have a very, very special guest with me. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Adi. How are you doing? Good. I'm so happy to have you here. Natalie Pistinovich is an AI code and security expert. Natalie is at the cross-section of AI code and security, open AI developer ambassador of JetGPD and DALI, Google developer expert for Go, university lecturer and public speaker. Wow. We're live on LinkedIn, YouTube and Facebook, and you're so invited to join the discussion and ask questions. So let's start. I'm going to ask like a very high level question, how would you define AI and why is it so, so important? So AI is basically when machines can do things that normally would require the intelligence of a human, like learning or taking a decision or even changing a decision based on new information as it comes in and generally um, doing something beyond a predefined set of instructions. But and it's, a, it's special. Yeah. So, sorry. I, I'm saying that most people, like, they say, okay, computers are just getting a bit smarter. So in the past, we could do something with them. They would do the calculation and give us an output. And now it's a bit more complex. What is really the difference between what we had and the AI itself? It's uh, the, the power and the independence to take a decision and uh, not operate based on predefined set of information and instructions, but actually take the independence of a, uh, you did not tell me what to do. This is not, a, not anymore just a set of if else, if else, find the right scenario and act accordingly. But here's just a set of information and now take a decision, which is actually what we do as humans as well. So that's yeah. the, this new level of independence of the ability to take decision and to process information that was not instructed how to handle it is this new superpower that computers got with a leveling up of AI. Right. So you're an open AI developer ambassador. So what companies should know if they're interested in using open AI and, and why open AI is so blooming right now in, in, in difference to like other capabilities that other um, big uh, tech companies have? Absolutely. So I'll take a moment to explain what does that mean being a developer ambassador. And I'll start with saying I am not employed by OpenAI. I am a volunteer. So I never even got a swag hoodie. Wow. <laughs> but what I do, that, yep, yep. Uh, but what right. I do get in return for the time that I'm investing is uh, access to models and to new developments that are under NDA with the purpose of doing some alpha testing, but also with the purpose of getting some training and then later on being able to help individuals and companies who want to use that. So as a developer ambassador, there are six of us and you can find a link to our Calendly or other scheduling system on the documentation page of OpenAI. So basically once you go there, you scroll enough, you find it, and then you can always get assistance from us for free. 
that means you can schedule 15 minutes and just say, this is an idea that I have. Is this feasible? How should I implement this better? Or you can say something like, uh, I had this idea, I developed it, and I hit this technical wall. Can you help me? Or maybe help me improve the prompts and so on. So this is the type of help I am offering as a developer ambassador. And this is the, the one of the reasons why we're getting this earlier access. And of course, this is something that is very exciting for me as well to always have a chance of seeing things that are really in the front of technology. And right. so this is to cover the very the initial part, the part zero yeah. of the question of what is being yeah. a, an open uh, developer ambassador and how can the listeners benefit from the presence of us. So what companies should know if they want to use the tooling of OpenAI is that most tools do have an API, which is great because it means you can automate things. You don't actually have to drag and drop things into the UI of, as we were doing for a while with ChatGPT. And you should know that there's always terms and conditions and you need to follow the uh, safety measurements. So read what is allowed, read what is not allowed. So for example, the other day somebody was asking me, is there really no way for me to have an adult-only chat app based on OpenAI? And the answer is no. There are other tooling out there. There's other companies that do this and they will offer the service. Some things are just not possible. Yeah, I just and, I just read today about that. You know, they changed mm-hmm. something in their legal. I think they're called Kimberly, 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 Kimberly. I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. the name of the mm-hmm. chat of the 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 entity that he's talking to, but they changed something. They it was like a companion. You could be their friend, but if you wanted adult yeah. only language, you need to pay them something like sixty nine dollars a month or something. And they would provide you this option. And then mm-hmm. there was something illegal there and they changed it. And people were so disappointed that some of the capabilities were taken from them. And the relationship with this um, assistant uh, did not work as in the past. Did, did, you, did you hear yeah, about that? Yeah. I did not hear about that, but I'm uh, not surprised. Uh, this is just actually was fresh in my mind because it was uh, an office hour question that I recently had as mm-hmm. an example of what's not. But I will say that most of the office hours are um, things that do follow the terms and conditions in a in the correct way. And uh, some more interesting things to know is that in the past, you used to uh, you were required to go through a production review. So before you could build your app locally and try it, but before you take it online, you must get this permission. And this is no longer a thing but you do still need to follow the requirements. So now this is being kind of a, utilize the AI is being used yet again to traffic the, to monitor the traffic in general. And in case something is not following the requirements, you will be approached. And a new tool that you get as a developer using this is the moderation endpoint that you can always choose to ask this endpoint, is this okay or not? So you don't, so you can still get the feedback uh, without actually having to be delayed by the review process. Um, Other important things that are good to know, I think, is or generally good steps to follow when you want to develop or adopt some of the tooling of OpenAI is, uh, you know, follow the right steps. So identify the problem, see what, which of your problems can be solved in a good way by AI. Do you have good data maybe in case it's relevant to solve that or to make this more personalized for you? And make sure that your AI integration does stay ethical because this is a big importance point for open AI in general to make sure that AI is benefiting humanity and not the other way around. 
So just just for example, I have um, a company who is doing e-commerce, and I would like mm -hmm. to develop a chatbot for an e-commerce website. Uh, how could I use the the OpenAI capabilities with my data because it's it's my stores, right? My my clients, so my stores, whatever, mm -hmm. in order to build this kind of tool. And how do you make sure that it's compliant to what is the OpenAI definition of ethical? So we started at the beginning of how to use your data in a relevant way. You always have an option of doing fine tuning, but many solutions actually don't require that. And that's enough to use context, which got bigger with the announcement of GPT-4. So now you have access to 8K and even 32K tokens, which is like 50 pages of a book. So usually you don't have that much context on your users, but in case you do, you have this option. So uh, the, good, the good practice I would recommend is um, take whatever data you already legally and, and consensually collected about your user and include that in the prompt where, where you're using this. So let's say you want to use what would be our use case? Let's think about something together. Let's you say, have the e-commerce. I have, I have an e-commerce website and mm -hmm. I want to have a chat or a chat bar that would uh, encourage people to buy as much as possible, of course, and to personalize their um, uh, suggestion based on their past, uh, um, uh, you know, what they bought in the past, whatever. So the scenario we have, if I get this right, is basically a user is entering your website and kind of the chatbot is, so you're in the mood for buying anything specific today and then the user says no and then say, and then maybe ask like, can you recommend me something? And then this is where the AI would kick yeah. in. Sure, and it will be based yeah. on my history as, as a client. I, mm -hmm. I think it makes sense that you might have had this scenario that, I don't know, that's the first thing that comes into my mind. How do I make money, e-commerce? So that, that's the only, it's not because it's an important use case, just because it's like obvious. Yeah. Uh, so in this scenario, you can write in the context information, like what are some things that the person already bought? So your, your prompt would be, this person one has bought in the past items ABC. This is a woman in her, I don't know, 20s, and she is based in this and there. And I know that her profession is this and that. And these are the newest items or the most expensive items or whatever kind of logic to you, or maybe the items in the category that I know that she buys most, which of those would I recommend? And then you get back a recommendations of let's say three items. And then you make another iteration with the AI before you present this to the end user where you say, so put that into the context of the conversation that we already have. And then you copy this set. So how has your day been? Glad you're back. Let me recommend you some things. And then it will kind of continue this voice. And it will also not just, you know, link here's items you can buy one to three, but more like, um, I noticed that you're, you have bought in the past um, AirPods. Let me recommend you a case that can go with that. I noticed your favorite color is blue. Let me recommend you a blue case for your AirPods and things like that. Yeah. And, and tell me, like, tell me some stories about what people actually usually ask. I just gave an example. So what would they usually ask when they come to you? Like technical, very technical questions or are they clueless or it's do they know what to do? Yeah. It, so it, it's really the entire spectrum. 
Um, I will mention that as developer ambassadors, we have, we're six different individuals. So each one has different strength points. My personal strength point is actually more on the programming side. So it, it so happens that I get more technical questions than not. Some other are very expert in go-to-market or art and so on. So those are the type of questions I get less because also in the page of the developer ambassador where you book this appointment, it says, what are your strength points? So this is already not representative. It's only my world of context, but I do get, um, you know, this is, we have hit the rate limit. How can we get a higher rate limit? Um, so, you know, the, the app is very popular. They're getting so many requests that they, they have to slow down and so on. So a quick solution in this case would be to use cash. For example, locally store some repeating questions and answers, and then you save time and money and those uh, API requests because then you store the common answers locally. Uh, I had somebody who said that they want to develop a cooking app and they want to make sure that this is interesting enough for investors. So we thought of kind of how many steps can we include that this is more than just the one iteration of this is the ingredients that I have at home, give me a recipe. And then we kind of developed that mm -hmm. into a bit of a more complex use case with several steps of iterations with the AI. And this is good because A, this is a bit more personal. B, this is something more sophisticated than what I can do at home. So I would have more interest as a user using this app because it gives me a bit more extra added value than what I can do. But also as an investor, I would appreciate this more because it has a bit more of IP rather than something really basic. So it's harder to find competitors for that. So this is another type of office hours that I have. Yeah, but you know, but in this example, I, I was, um, I'm still in a, a GD for a Google developer expert for the assistant. And this example mm -hmm. was for the assistant in the, in the past several times I heard that people are building these kinds of um, capabilities for um, the assistant. The mm -hmm. Google Assistant. How is it different? Yeah. Is, is it similar um, or is it different? I am not sure I have enough knowledge on the capabilities of the Google Assistant to actually make a fair comparison. Mm -hmm. I know that mm -hmm. it can speak back to you, which is something that right now the OpenAI and the public ones are not doing. So this mm -hmm. is one big difference. Um, I think the underlying engine is also quite different in its capabilities. So I would expect right. that the written output that you get would be more, um, at the moment at least, uh, more capable, natural. right? Like more, yeah. more relevant, natural more language. natural language, yeah. but also more to the point and so on. Yeah, I see. Okay, so we mentioned ethics. How could you make sure that it's not used in order to manipulate people to do something? And what is manipulation? The fact that I'm I'm making you buy more, is it a manipulation? I don't know. This is what usually apps are doing, right? This is a good question. This is a philosophical question. And I will mention that the OpenAI team does have a large ethics team that handles with questions like this and bigger, generally about the ethics of AI and making sure that this is used for the better uh, of, of humanity. Um, and let's say that there's a concrete list of endpoints on the moderation or concrete list of sub endpoints in the moderation endpoint uh, that you know those are things that are not allowed like violence, like explicit content and so on. So persuasion is actually not there. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's between you and your clients. Yeah. So did, did you get any like training on what is the limitations and what is the 
a legal a, a, a point of view, what is ethical, or it's just in like files that you need to read and be updated? And... It's uh, never files. It's always, here's the new tool, go with luck, have fun exploring. It's always a, you figure out. Yeah. Uh, but we, yeah. we don't get the legal and ethical training because this is not something we are expected to do. So if you have legal question, if you have ethics question, there are dedicated teams of professionals who have a lot more than just the training, but actually, you know, a full on uh, educational path and experience, professional experience path. So I would be, it, it would not be me who is able to answer such <laughs> questions. Okay, ChatGPT4, just yesterday it was released. Tell us about that. Uh, definitely mind-blowing. I think the feature that I found most people excited by is the one where you just sketch something. So the person sketched a, a website and then it was uploaded and then it had a web, it auto-generated the website that looks exactly like in that sketch, which is a wildly um, futuristic set of uh, yeah. events, let's say. Um, another thing that I find exciting living in Germany and doing my taxes every year is that uh, another step in the demo was that you upload the 16 pages of the deductibles uh, section in the American tax law. And then it asks some questions. You ask some questions and then it gives you a concrete response, which is something that usually your tax advisor would charge a good buck for. Yeah, and I think that he, he... If I'm not mistaken, it passed through the exams for medical studies mm -hmm. or legal studies, all, all the yeah. bar exams, it right? Completely crazy. Yeah, it, it showed how it did in all the different, all of the tests, like the GREs, the SATs, the ones for law school, the ones for med school and so on. It passed all of them in different ranges of success to very high success. Wow. And I know that there, it's like multimodal, so you could show it like images too. It, in the past, it was only text. That's another thing that is different, right? It, it is. It was in the demo as the website upload or generation based on the image upload. However, this is not yet available for people who do get their access to GPT-4 at this point. Who knows, by the time that the episode is edited and published, it might be, you know, one and a half days and this is already a new change. But currently to this point, no. You cannot yet yeah. use that. Uh, is there any uh, touch point between DALI and, and the capabilities in ChatGPT4? Do they uh, allow you to connect between two these, of these capabilities or they are like separate? You have API access, which you can link, but you don't have direct access between the two in the UI right now. So tell us a bit about DALI, if, if people don't know about that. Like most people, I think, heard about MidJourney and DALI's somewhat similar, but tell us about that. Uh, both are basically tools that you give an input and you get as a text and you get an image as an output as a generated one. And you can specify things like three apples, two pears and one elephant. But you can also say in the style of the name of an artist or you know digital art or maybe something that looks like it was knitted and so on. And there is a, in the beginning, so Dolly came out in April 2022, and shortly after it came out Midjourney. And you can see that because it belongs to two different organizations, it has a very different um, way of go-to-market uh, strategy in the lack of a better word, but basically the, the way that the accessibility even came out. So Dolly was uh, moderated, still is. So some inputs that you put in, like the explicit content or the violence and so on, this will not generate any image for you. While uh, mid-journey, the, the decision of the company behind it was a free input. So do what you want. You will always get some sort of an output. 
and the access to that was also available to everyone immediately. Uh, OpenAI wanted to take it safe, as they do, always do, still do, have done in the past. So it was a gradual rollout, and more and more people got access with time. But the, at the beginning, it was moderated to see that this is used in a way that is benefiting humanity. So what things that were rejected other than the obvious is uh, trying to create um, paid imagery for the spread of fake news, for example. Mm -hmm. And yeah. now that we're almost one year later, we are obviously in a very different place and a very different adoption type of the two and so on. So Dali is still a website that you can go to, link your credit card and do everything. Midjourney, you have to either use the Discord or maybe run it locally. So there's a lot more ways of using it. There's a very big and active community around that. But there's also um, lots of different legal legality, let's say, around that. And yeah. still figuring out yeah. kind of who owns what and so on. So let's see. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'll give you a, a quote. AI is the new electricity. It has the potential to transform every industry and create new ones. It's Andrew Eng, co-founder of Coursera and former VP of Google. What do you think about that? Is it like too much or this is what you think? I, I do share the sentiment, whether this is the new electricity or the new computer, this is something that will be in everybody's house, in everybody's life, in everybody's uh, device, communication device, you know, call it a phone, call it a transporter, whatever. This will be something that will be part of our everyday life for sure. This will transform everything on our personal, professional life and everything. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I, yeah. I'm on the same team. We, we said, you mentioned several times it needs to be safe, it needs to benefit uh, human society, so forth. Um, what is like the worst case scenario when we're thinking about what is not safe? Uh, give it, uh, give access and the lack of moderation to people who want to use that for, again, fake news, right? There's always complex geopolitical situations going on at any given point at any given time. Right now, for example, you want to create fake imagery to either you have a favorite side in the of war between Ukraine and Russia, create the, the, the fake content, fake image, fake news to for the side that you want against the side that you don't want, and you will escalate things in a very awful way that will cost yeah. many lives. So this is one very bad thing that can be done and uh, should be avoided. Yeah. What about the impact on the career, each of any, any one of us, like the jobs that it might uh, demand or consume? How do you see that? Yeah. As I know that as a developer, for sure, many of the things that junior developers are currently need, needing to do, the co-pilot co is doing the AI that helps build, uh, one of the AIs will building code. What do you think about that? I think that this is an exciting productivity boost. This is something that I've been talking about for the last probably three years uh, in different conference talks. Uh, I do not think that this is coming to replace juniors. I do think this is coming to reshape our industry. And the example that I like giving as an answer to this situation is read the job description for a senior software developer. Do you see anything about expertise in punch cards or in assembly, which is the language that is the hardware that the computer runs on, operates in? No, mm -hmm. you, you don't need to know any assembly. You don't need to know the 
you know, binary logic and so on to operate this because this is a layer of abstraction that happened sometimes between the 60s and the 80s when in the 60s, the starting point was there was lots of women who were doing punch cards um, algorithms and this was operating the machines or the computers at the time and then came abstractions and then came programming language and now the 80s and then obviously later on. Uh, but 80s was the another big point in the history of computing where programming languages and screens and keyboards became a big thing that replaced all this equipment that we knew. Did it replace juniors? No. Junior software was, has been a thing and will remain a thing. Did it replace punch card people? Yes. Does it so mean that the people a, who did punch cards... Uh, it's just... I see this is another layer of abstraction, if you will. Yeah, basically, exactly. Instead of me having to write now, um, you know, I want to do calculate three plus two, I can do this in a software in one line, or I can go back to assembly right, the language that drives the hardware, and do this as a set of something like 20 commands. Move, store this value in this register, add this value between the two registers, move the registers around, look at the output, and so on. I just need to do one line. It helped me be more efficient. It helped me achieve my goal. Did it replace a person who knows assembly? Yes. If the person who learned assembly switched to a modern programming language, they're good. If anything, they have the benefit of actually knowing a bit better what goes behind the scenes. Yeah. So this is what I think is happening. I think this is not replacing juniors. I think this is giving another layer of abstraction. Yes, it will reshape things. We do need to rescale or upscale a bit, but this is something that is always a normal progress. It's just a big bump of it. Yeah, but but you know, like what you're saying is like many, many right now, let's, the, let's say that we have like 100 million people doing code, right? And the junior people, they have the work which is more mundane, which is more simple, which uh, takes less uh, no, knowledge and experience, right? That's why they're a junior. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is they will need to know how to use this tool in order to create something that currently takes them a few days and then it will take maybe one hour, let's say, okay? Mm -hmm. And yeah, what you're saying is either the demand will be much higher and they still will have jobs or the demand will be more or less the same. I don't know, like the same amount of applications needs to be developed and then they would have less work. They will need to work one hour instead of like a few days, for example. So yeah, exactly. Let's think you're the, yeah. you're the business manager of this company, right? You're not the technical lead, you're the business lead, the person who crunches the numbers of salaries and how much you pay per product and right. so on. And, and you know that the, this app that used to take a week to develop can now be taken, can now be done in a day. You would want your employees to have this skill of being able to do this in one hour instead, because this will give your company the ability of just providing a better product. So yeah. you, if you already hired those people, you probably, in addition to their technical skills, you also hired them for their social skills and also for the skills of being able to learn things. So yes, you will have to calculate for some time of learning and then you'll just get this wild productivity boost. It's kind of like all you already plan for some productivity and the educational budget and some you know, time for to go for a conference or for a training and so on. So this is just another type of training, but instead of learning, this is the new version of the language we're using. This is like a whole new layer of abstraction of the language that we're yeah. using, which gives you a better productivity. You cannot use I it blindly. Uh, because yeah. it still sometimes gives wrong output. So you still need to understand what you're doing. Of course. And what I'm saying, I understand what you're saying, but I'm saying something a bit different. I'm saying they will mm -hmm. need less developers. 
other they will create much more like much more uh, applications for their and i know how i don't know how many do they need but let's say they don't change the, the capacity they don't change what they need mm -hmm. to to deliver in the end to their clients in the end they will need less resources less human resources because right now they have five junior junior and afterwards they will need only one right and this one junior would do the work of all the five because he has help. He has someone doing their job in this case. And more than that, the other four, they will go to somewhere else, but they will not get the experience that he gets. So he could be much more qualified to do something which is more complex afterwards, and they will not. So they will not be able to really learn it if they don't go to, to this position. So yeah. you yeah. understand what I'm saying? Or maybe I I'm am wrong, understanding what you're saying, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I do want to challenge your base assumption. Yeah, which is? Uh, the base assumption of, uh, of uh, let's say that I am the, the business manager and now I know that I can get a, a bigger productivity boost, but I choose not to take it. I think very few... Um, you know, professional business leads, let's say, will take such a decision. Because if I already have my budget for five developers, why would I want to cut that to one in exchange for not uh, doubling my revenue? The question when, when I have the choice between, going, going uh, I know forward, that I get... Right now, you're right. If I have a budget right now and it's say 100 million and we have 100 millions to build something which could lead to, uh, I, know, I know, like, Five million users, whatever, and uh, and this kind of uh, uh, revenue makes sense that I will get more. But in the future, let's say I would have more or less the same uh, capabilities, the same needs for the company, and I would just hire less and make more money because I I don't need to pay AI as much as I pay for uh, human resources and developers. So going forward. These people would probably, I'm not saying they will be not employed. I'm just saying they will do something else. And the same goes for creative people, for marketing people, for salespeople, for legal. It doesn't matter. We're, we're, right now we're talking about coding, but that doesn't really matter. If right now I have someone doing all the um, a copywriting for my ads and doing the marketing and the calculations in order to uh, adjust, the, optimize my uh, the cost for marketing, whatever. All these mm -hmm. people would be uh, less needed. And next time I would, I might, I could fire or hire less because I get the same results without being, I don't know. Don't you see it this way or I'm, I'm mistaken? I, I absolutely see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, there is the, the, like something changes in the equation that, uh, you know, X developers produce Y content and X developers plus Y or generally X professionals produce Y content and X professionals using AI produce two, two Y. Yeah, let's just make up a number. Right. Um, you, you are facing the choice whether you want to keep it at five payrolls or sorry, at X payrolls mm -hmm. and two Y outputs or do you want to truncate your two Y and, and truncate the X? This is a business decision. Yeah. I, am, I tend to see that companies prefer growth over savings. That's why investment rounds exist. Mm -hmm. So I, I do see that while some companies will have to face the choice of layoffs, I do think that overall, most of the companies will choose to take this productivity to make more revenue rather than cutting salaries. Uh, I see. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, it, it's a it's an opinion. I am not a business person, and you know we will yeah, we will have to see. You say. Yeah, nobody knows. I, I'm very curious. You know, on one side, it's a bit uh, scary because it's going to be really totally different and influence, as you said, every asshole, in, in, at least in, in the, you know, in some parts of the, of the, of the globe. And yeah. on the other side, it's really, I, I'm very curious and, and really excited to see, and yeah. we're living in exciting times to see this kind of a change. Because, you know, I, I've been in the tech industry for about like 20 years. And I, I've seen like technologies come and go, people getting really excited. And then it's like there's this hype and then it's less, you know. And in this case, it's the first time that at least I see something either than maybe the mobiles, the iPhone, maybe take this one out. Other than this mm -hmm. one, that will totally change our lives and it will not be a, a point in time that say, okay we'll do something it's going to really this change was the blockchain the era yeah so yeah. I, I don't know i think one of the reasons for that yeah i i share the sentiment and i think that one of the reasons for that is that we see already things in in place happening rather than when it was which is my impression conversations block about blockchain is that this can do this this can do that and then you have to go and implement those promises and this is kind of when it uh, disappeared a bit But here, before we even start promising things, it's like you see, oh, it just generates code. Oh, it just did this image. So first comes the result and then comes the promises. So I think because of this different flow, yeah. I anticipate this to be different. I, I think what I find most interesting is the fact that people from so, like the fact that tech people are very in a, uh, enthusiastic about it is like, okay, this is what they're supposed to do. But there are so many other people not related to tech. I have like mm -hmm. one group of, of like people who are therapists. And you say, okay, mm -hmm. therapists, they, they're using AI. It doesn't make sense. Or people who are uh, looking for uh, uh, people working in nature, people working mm -hmm. with kids, people working mm -hmm. with, with finance, which are not really tech people. And they find themselves, they found the, the, the capabilities very intriguing and they're using it even things that might not have come to most people's mind, they find how to do it. And, and yeah. for me, the fact that I'm using it for things that I never thought I would use it. You know, my, my, uh, my son had a birthday and I always have like this game that they need to find something related, you know, like uh, mm. going for a treasure hunt. And he, uh, he loves Pokemon. I don't know that, I don't know Pokemon. With all the respect, I don't see this. But I wanted to give it like the, the what are the characters going to do? What would be right? Uh, um, what would be mm. the game based on? What are the uh, tasks we're going to ask for on the way in this treasure hunt? And he mm -hmm. just wrote me what to, what to tell the kids and what would be a good character to, to blame and who's the bad guy and the good guy. And it just mm -hmm. told me mm -hmm. what I need to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, my, and I asked my kid, he was not that specific, right? Yeah. So he took OpenAI and he helped me build this for, for the game, which is, doesn't make sense. You know, it's like a helper. It's okay, I need yeah. that. So come and help me, which is like, I know, I'm in shock by the fact that I use it for that. It doesn't make yeah. sense in the, in the beginning. And I'm sure that I, I would just be interested in, in the OpenAI team seeing all mm -hmm. the requests that they get, being mm -hmm. surprised 
they get requests for protocols of, of treatment for I know mental health. And and the answer is like it's not something that they coded. It's not that they say, okay, we're gonna build this, we're gonna build a mental health application, yeah. which is what I find so surprising. Like most yeah. people are not even in the in 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 connection to technology. Many of them would say, uh, I'm not a technological person. I, I, it's not for me. Yeah. And then they come and use it, which is like, like, like how do you know that? How can yeah, you even think of this recommendation? That's such a good idea. Yeah. And each time you ask, you get something else, which is so refreshing. It's not like usually in yeah. computer, you get one answer, you get a question and you get an answer. And each time you would ask, you would get the same answer. Now you get different things. This same for image. If I have the same product, yeah. I would get different images. Which is like yeah. shocking. Like it's the same request. How did you do something else with it? it, it related to in general to creativity, I, I think about it a lot. You know, I come from yeah. design and I see designers and, and illustrators, musicians, everyone yeah. is doing arts and really amazed with the capabilities there. Yeah, and, uh, this is exactly circling back to your very first question of uh, what what is special about AI. Exactly what you just described, that it's creative, that it's able to think, that it has such a wild, wide world of context. Yeah. And, and that it's keep keep um, giving new outputs. Mm -hmm. So I see that you are very optimistic. Am I right with that? Like, you're not worried at all that it would do something that would be overwhelming or too much for your daily life or for the world? Uh, for me personally, I am excited that it will uh, automate more parts of my work. I am a big fan of our robot overlords. <laughs> uh, and I do think that, if, I, I, I genuinely believe that if you learn to use that, you will be part of the future, you will not be replaced. Um, as to society, I think having this the most powerful and the most uh, advanced things in the hands of companies like OpenAI who have the very clear goal of making sure that gen AGI, like general uh, intelligence, would do good rather than do something is, is the best thing we can do. Because you cannot stop progress, but you can try to navigate this to a positive place. And I think that this is very much what they're doing. Open AI, you mean that they are more responsible yes. than and many other uh, options out there. That they have a large ethics team that makes sure not just the legal part is covered, but actually that it will do good. And what does exactly good mean? Yeah, that's why it started from Open AI. It was supposed to be a nonprofit, and now it has part of it is is not a nonprofit. It's for profit. We can talk about the structure as well. It is a bit confusing. It started as an open, as a nonprofit. And what can you do? The smart people do want to earn money. So the compromise that they have reached is that it has a three layer structure. So the bottom of the structure is the OpenAI labs, which generate all these amazing outputs. They belong to a capped profit company, which means that they are for profit, but only up to a cap of 30x of the, whatever the investors put in. Once it goes over the 30x in the revenue, it goes one layer up to the nonprofit, which so, is a hybrid structure. So it's both for profit and nonprofit, but in a way that kind of benefits everybody. You can still get 
very good pay for the smart job that you're doing, but it's also not unlimited. Yeah. Um, I think that I saw yesterday Elon Musk uh, writing in Twitter about that. Like he invested 100 million in that and he said it was supposed to be non-profit and now it's profit and he, he was not too, too, too happy about it. Um, I think that most people um, don't really understand how, how much money could be in that. And that's why it's limited. Uh, it could be like yeah. endless, more or less. Yeah. And that's why they're trying to limit it and say, okay, other than that, we're bringing it back to the nonprofit and the, uh, uh, exactly. we're aiming to make something good for humanity in order to really keep it in, in some kind of limits. Uh, although yeah. I heard um, a podcast with Sam Altman, uh, it was how I did it with Guy Raz, uh, a, a very good podcast, by the way. Uh, and he asked him about that exactly. Are you are you not are you worried that you're doing a huge mistake? Are you? Uh, and he gave an example of a scientist who worked on the atomic bomb in the past, who regretted it afterwards. And he said that he's thinking about it every day. And he has the book of this uh, scientist next to his uh, bed actually, and he's doing his best not to be. Um, not to have regret about what he's doing right now. Yeah, it's, that's a very important goal for the person with the vision of the company. And it's also very good that he's not keeping his opinion as one, but he actually has a huge team of ethics professionals that will debate whenever need, disagree whenever needed and so on, because this cannot be a one person's decision. And it is not. And I think this is how it should be. Because mistakes will always be made, but at least if this is enough smart people in the room to, to conflict you with a situation, it is slightly more likely to be the better outcome. Mm. So would you tell us about some of the projects that you're involved in and, and what makes you excited in your daily work? Right now, just the pace of things is very exciting. You know, you... Mm -hmm. one, from one day to another suddenly something wild like GPT-4 comes out and then you have to even just take a moment to reevaluate how much of what you did until now is now automated yet again and this you can choose to be frustrated by this you can choose to say oh right this just saved me time in my sprint and moving on to the next task and so on and I right now what I'm working on actually is a in my free time is using the tool that is called Langchain, which is a non-open AI project. This is an open source project that helps people uh, use different AI models and different tools like uh, different APIs and so on from Gmail and so on to, to build products in a straightforward way. So this, mm -hmm. uh, the, the reason that I'm focusing on this project is actually not building with it. This is something that I've done a little bit. It's fun and it's easy, but it's also using Python. Python is a nice language. I don't like it personally, and I don't think that this language will survive the AI just because of the features of it. I think Go is one of the languages that will survive uh, the other side of AI uh, overtaking our tech industry. And I am slowly and safely um, changing or re rewriting this into Go. So this is mm. one of the biggest projects that uh, one person project wow. that I'm working on slowly uh, in my free time. But I think this is a probably the most exciting thing because I do think that Go is not only faster and better, but also just the sheer properties of it 
because it's being so um, standardized in comparison to Python being a bit more freestyle, will help it be more future-proof. And is it like uh, if this, then that, and you are connecting APIs, and like if you do this, you do that? It's something like exactly you, that's what comes. Yeah, that comes to mind. That, that's pretty much link chain. Exactly, it's a super useful, amazing tool that makes using all those different models out there fast and easy. Mm -hmm. Okay, good luck with that. Sounds really interesting. So, where could people hear more about you? And I know that you're on LinkedIn. And you just told mm -hmm. us about the open AI. Anything else people need to know about you and your work and to contact you? Um, mostly Twitter. Uh, I'm mostly sharing their uh, thoughts oh. and uh, updates and so on. <laughs> more than LinkedIn, to be honest. Oh, more than LinkedIn. Okay. So go to Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn, but uh, for sure, <laughs> <laughs> go and visit Natalie Pistonovic, right? Did I say right? So it's right, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Okay. That's not obvious. Uh, that's Thank you. <laughs> One of my talents. Thanks, Natalie, for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you and lots of fun, really interesting um, and exciting times for sure. So thank Absolutely. you very much. It's been a pleasure talking you. to you. You too. And to all of you changemakers out there, thank you for joining me. And if you want to learn more about my work, go to InvincibleInnovation.com. And I'll see you next week with another innovative, insightful talk. See ya. I'm Adima Zaukario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, InvincibleInnovation.com where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening.